and welcome back to another episode of The Long Short. The very mention of the term AI sparks excitement and anxiety in equal measure. What is clear is that AI is already here and it's reshaping society in all forms. Almost 12 months ago to the day, the world got its first experience of generative artificial intelligence. The launch of ChatGPT saw us all testing out this new information system and learning what a large language model can do. In my case, attempting to put some of my op-eds to rhyme. But it can do so much more than that, and AI is now big business. As organizations embark on their journey of implementing AI capabilities with the information and communications technologies, becoming aware of the influence of generative AI is a must. Indeed it is. And here at AMA, we're working on a research paper to help understand how hedge funds are approaching generative AI including the opportunities and challenges that fund managers are finding as part of their initial due diligence of using these tools. It was during this research that we came across today's guest, Dr. Mohamed Rasuli, an AI researcher at Stanford University who previously managed AI activation projects for alternative asset manager clients, including top 20 private equity firms during his time at the consulting firm McKinsey, as well as bringing experience from his time at Microsoft. Alongside his current role at Stanford, Dr. Rasuli also helps fund managers and funder funds with their AI adoption strategies and is a regular speaker on the conference circuit. Mohammed, you're very welcome to the long short. Thank you. Uh, so, Mohammed, my youngest boy at the moment is learning about the invention of the steam engine. And that's clearly a huge milestone in the Industrial Revolution. So, my question to you, I'm just thinking about how you would compare AI in terms of the biggest disruptions and the most important inventions when comparing to, say, the printing press, steam engine, electricity, telephone, and the modern age computer, and most recently the internet and renewable energy. So where would you pitch AI in terms of all of that? That's a great question, Tom, that I get asked uh, often, and it's the question for all the AI uh, scientific community. Uh, Generally speaking, AI is somehow a new productivity tool. A lot of the things that we do on a daily basis, be it like uh, being creative with poems or generating content or going and swiping the street or whatever, all of them are things that eventually can be automated. What it means for humanity is that now we have more free time to be doing things that we really enjoy in, in life. Now, similar stuff has happened with the steam engine that came around or the examples you gave, like all these technology breakthroughs, the internet, the electricity, all of them, they provided some sort of efficiency and productivity for us. Now, the main change between AI and all the things mentioned above is down the line, AI can grow to the sense that we have some level of, as the name says, artificial intelligence. We have some level of replicating the humans at the intelligence level and consciousness, all of these philosophical questions around it that raise up. But at the short term, it's basically a productivity technology that we are, we are observing around ourselves. So somewhere on that spectrum, then, you're saying it's on a par or certainly has the, um, the potential to be on that level of those big milestones through the industrial age and, and modern age. Oh, of course. Of course. No doubt about that. Like our, the automation revolution that you're observing is going to be matching uh, uh, steam engines, electricity, and all of the previous technology breakthroughs. 
And we can agree then that it is going to be very important. But before we go too far down this rabbit hole, could I just ask you to define AI and specifically if you could just ex explain how it relates to other similar technologies that people often get confused with, such as machine learning? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So artificial intelligence, when the term was coined, was coming from the neuroscience uh, research labs. And the idea they had was how to, how does the human brain works? Like intelligence that the human has, how we can replicate it in a, in a machine, in an artificial way. Now that's the goal of artificial intelligence. Now the term has evolved over the years and the machine learning on the other hand was some techniques that learn the machine to do some stuff. It could be what humans do. It could be other stuff like, uh, and breakthroughs in the machine learning technologies was when machine learned how to separate the photos like cats and dogs. And then machine learned to how understand language, the language models came around. And this whole innovation around neural networks came from the machine learning, different algorithms and neural network as one algorithm within machine learning grows so big that right now is like 99% of the machine learning. Now, artificial intelligence, eventually the goal of those neuroscience was very close to this machine learning, trying to uh, replicate what humans do. And these days people just use them interchangeably, artificial intelligence and neural networks, especially this last year. But back in the days, it was really like the artificial intelligence was replicating human mind and human brain and that consciousness to some extent, if possible. And as you say, we see um, examples of use cases for AI and and, uh, and also machine learning cropping up all the time. And, and everything seems to now have, to some extent, an AI component to it. But realistically, to what extent do you feel like it's disrupting modern civilization today in terms of our everyday lives? Yeah, that's a very good question. It will definitely change our everyday life. Uh, I can give you several examples. Like uh, we listen to music these days and we go online and we choose which music we want to listen to. Now imagine a machine that can understand what music we want to listen to and create a new music for us, right? We watch a movie. Let's say we go and find what movie we want to watch. Assume there is... A, a platform that can write a movie for you and generate a movie for you. Now, these are like on the creativity side. Let's say on a day-to-day -day life, uh, a lot of work is depending on document processing. If you are, for example, doing some consulting, doing some uh, finance work in all those sort of industries, you need to read documents, aggregate them, summarize them, get the output. Assume the machine can do all of that for you. And these are just on the like generative side, the new generative uh, AI that is coming through. There's a lot of robotics robotics and other algorithms that can replicate the, the physical work that we do around ourselves. So once all of these algorithms and the corresponding products become mature, a lot of the things we do on a daily, daily basis is going to be done by the machines. We don't need to spend time for them, right? So therefore, we are going to be asking the question of now what? What is it that us humans can do? Like all of the things now the machine can do. And at one part, like, obviously, it's going to be immediate impact on labor markets. Some jobs are not going to be required anymore or less people are required for them. And there will be new ta skills and tasks that is required to run these machines and algorithms. But the bigger impact is that all the time that is now freed up for the humans, they are going to find new ways, new things to do in life, 
in the same way that, that way that the, when once the steam engine came around, we found new things to do in life. We found now we can work on softwares and algorithms and other things. So um, it's almost 12 months ago today, I guess, um, that the world became aware of the power of generative AI with the arrival of ChatGPT. Um, what do we mean, though? Because you've talked about generative AI. Our listeners would love to hear more about how do we define generative AI? And how does generative AI then differ from other kinds of AI? So very high level and abstract speaking, we can say the machine learning and AI algorithms are in two camps, the predictive ones and the generative ones. The predictive ones are basically examples are like separating, finding the patterns, separating photos of cats and dogs, for example, right? These kind of predicting what category an object is or what will be the next outcome of a trend figuring out the pattern and of figuring out what's what where this pattern is going to go in the data if you are predicting a stock market for example look at the data in the historical and then predict the next step this is the predictive machine learning on the other hand the generative machine learning is to build things that never existed before to make images that never existed before to make uh, music that never existed before or look at the, 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 the generative AI, the biggest example of that these days is this chat GPT and large language models. And what it means is that the machine looks into existing documents and existing like transcripts and it starts talking things that didn't exist before. It starts uh, answering questions just like a human and be creative with that. It can write a poem, it can say a stuff. This generative model uh, that's the breakthrough we have seen in the last 12 months, especially with ChatGPT. And whenever any of these new technologies uh, come to market, there's often this um, paradigm of, of whether this is going to be uh, evolution or revolution is, is generally how we sort of bucket these two things. And so when it comes to generative AI and, and how it will impact, um, maybe let's just focus in on, on the business world or finance where, where your work has taken you. Do you feel like this will be, as I say, which of those do you think it will be, evolution or revolution? So that's a good question applied to finance. I would say evolution is um, basically like, is it going to be the same as stuff we do before, but now more productive, or it's going to be totally new ways that we do this stuff, like new way that we work, new way that we invest, new way that we uh, run our due diligence and other use cases in the finance world. I would say at the first stage, like short term, it will be some sort of evolution efficiency tool. It's going to be augmented to the human work, but within the research community, there are people who are trying to really revolutionize the finance in the way that the end-to-end -end investment process is all done by, done by the machine, like without a human interaction at all. That means that a machine can do everything that an investment fund does. Now, how far we are to get there, there are people who are super uh, bullish on these ideas. I know like uh, co-founders of DeepMind are uh, talking about this and they want to do that within two years, we will see. But what is immediate and clear and certainly happening is that these algorithms are already changing how in an efficiency level, in an augmented way, uh, in an evolution way, how we are doing the day-to-day -day job in the in finance, in investment funds, in investment banking, in fund of funds. 
and that's a great segue into you know our industry um, and and thinking about um, our members and the stakeholders relevant to our industry. So the hedge fund industry. AMA, like many other market participants, is conducting research into use cases and challenges around generative AI. And part of the challenge is quantifying the reasonable time frame for when a lot of the current theoretical uses will be in play. So from your understanding, Mohammed, can you give us a bit of a roadmap then when AI will exist across all aspects of our professional and our personal lives? So asking of a timeline, when it happens, uh, I would say it's obviously a hard prediction, like depends on how the industry evolves. But we have we are seeing like breakthrough after breakthrough. Like uh, recently, we saw ChatGPT uh, announced APIs that allows making applications way easier than before. Like it, one person can now make an application for certain use cases. Now this makes things just move faster and faster. Now I would say, speaking professionally, like how far AI has impacted finance, it's already made huge impact in certain funds, the bigger funds, they already are using that and are already there in terms of using generative AI for their day-to-day uh, efficiency gains. The other funds the in a larger scale, they are trying to figure out and the challenge here is that there's not a provider of this kind of services for these funds. So either they should figure out how to make it in-house or hire engineers and those who have it don't necessarily share it with the others. So that's like the, the thing in the industry that is uh, taking shape, like who is going to provide these solutions or are the funds going to learn how to do that in-house because these investment funds are not technology funds. We will see. My, my thing, because uh, based on the talks I give in conferences and I have been actually actively giving talks in uh, conferences around the globe. Um, I was in the super return US uh, just the day before yesterday, and it was in super return Middle East before that to see the world. I think things are moving fast. We have done some of these things for the funds ourselves, uh, both at the firm I was working McKinsey as a consultant. And then after that, at an engineering level with the team we have, we have done some of these for some funds, these use cases, and things are just going faster and faster. So I think within when next one or two years, we will see great impact in the industry at massive scale by the funds wow, really? on generative AI. Now, on the personal level, I know that was part of your question as well. That's a wider answer. I mean, as short a time frame as that, really, one to two years, well. When it comes to generative AI, let's say generative AI is going to mostly impact the back office kind of use cases, writing emails, writing investment memos, uh, marketing material, uh, all of these things and process management. It's going to be very faster than people think. Now, core business applications of AI which are finding good deals, finding good deal opportunities, uh, finding good investors and all of these, those are algorithms that are at this point more complicated and they probably take longer time to put their impact. Having said that, I know big funds uh, that like mega funds who already have used predictive AI at massive scale as well. You can look at EQT, Mother Brain, KKR, Advent Lab, TPG, uh, General Partner, um, Blackstone, all of them have talked about what they have predictive AI as well on top of their generative AI for core business. I think it's fairly well established at this point, as much as it can be, that generative AI or AI more broadly has some fairly obvious use cases when you're talking about middle and back office, certain compliance, automiz automization, 
uh, DDQs, etc. I think I think most people can agree that to a greater or lesser extent that will play a role. But the 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 billion dollar question is really about the extent to which AI can um, enhance portfolio management and either producing market signals or you know you you mentioned there that where uh, some people believe that it will will take on all roles to to some extent or at least play a part in all roles front to back across a, an asset manager and and just to give a little bit of a preview into some of the work that we've been doing on this we surveyed over 100 hedge funds recently and we found that although very few of them are applying generative AI to their investment decision-making process today, as many as uh, 20% think that they will be doing so in the next 12 months. And although 20% might not seem like a huge amount, that actually is a, is a, is a massive step up from those that are doing it today, which is basically no one. So I just wanted to get a sense of put that data point to you and, and, and really try and figure out sort of who's right here. You know, there's people that are very bullish, people that are very skeptical, but for that front office question, is it possible soon? Yeah, of course. Let me see like some things that exist already. So as I mentioned, the mega funds are already using predictive AI for core business, which is finding alpha, which is basically if, if they are a fund finding investors, this is a good match, uh, deploying that uh, capital to assets and then predicting exit time and then basically collecting the return. That's the core business. And if they are fund of fund, equivalently find the funds they want to invest in, evaluate them and realize the return, realize uh, the gain. So this is happening. This is not some, this is, this is like, you can look at mother brain for EQT again. They're very outspoken about it and their advantages like Blackstone, they code that they want to have this AI machine as the backbone of their entire investment in the core business. Or I can give you like direct code I had from the CEO of uh, general partner, Will, who told me that they have in every investment committee for six people, they have given a seven seat, which is for the machine to say yes, no for an investment and reason about it. Like these are like things that are happening in the industry for larger funds. And it's almost for across all the large funds, uh, any fund above 80 billion has this kind of internal data and predictive models for core business. Now, how far, they, they are pretty advanced at this stage as far as they publish their algorithms and speak, how far it will make its way to other funds and it's gonna be democratized to the industry. That's the question that we will see, as I said, uh, the funds are trying to figure out building these things because these investment funds are not necessarily technical shops. Building them in-house may require some work for them. Providing of these solutions is not available to everyone. The work that I did with my team is for selective funds that we could support. So this takes probably time. But one thing is clear. This is this AI, which is changing the industry. Those who get it earlier are going to be ahead. And what it means is that those early movers have advantage to harness the good deals in the market before or curate good deals before others can do, have more sharp conversations with the managements of the management team of the asset, with the investors and others. And this may result in some sort of consolidation in the industry because those mega funds already have more power now and then they can harness the good deals. And it's a competitive market already. So the smaller funds or other funds who don't move fast enough with AI may have a competitive disadvantage. Now, 
The other thing I should say is that an AI solution here is taking time to build for the fund. Every fund is unique with investment. This is with the data that they have, property data, with what they want to do. And it takes time for a fund to feed in their data, train their model, culturally understand how to use AI and everything. And that's what, again, keeps the early movers ahead of the curve. So it's a product that if you buy, if start making now, it's ready in a few months. You're not going to buy it now and tomorrow you will have it. So you're not refuting then that 20% number. We were surprised by that finding. Um, that will be coming out you know, over the next couple of months, our, our research on that, that one in five firms, they expect that Gen AI will have a significant disruption on the investment management process. So if you're not surprised by that, then what I'd love to know is how, how is the sausage made then? How are the market leaders then thinking about using Gen AI to inform the investment decision-making process. Can you take us through maybe a very basic outline of what that might look like? So the use cases that is coming more and more clear for the core business, again, separating that from back office, for the core business, this is more predictive AI than generative AI, that you, those use cases, first and foremost, are deal finding and deal insight. This is what most of the funds who do predictive AI for core business start from finding good deals and having sharp insights about deal or due diligence, basically. Now, finding a deal by itself, like how to define it, is not about like just giving a list of companies that you can look into and are the archetypes that the, the investor person can go and print, the partners can go and search through. No, it's not like that. The idea is that the machine can really understand what is your fund about what is your fund's competitive advantage on? It is fixing supply chain. Is it, is it fixing the management issues? Uh, is it uh, providing capital to the assets? What is it your advantage or your gain? What is your current portfolio? And give you recommendations that are really fit for the fund and tell you exactly why you should invest on those. Like sharp insights. What are the top three reasons you should invest and top three risks in this investment? That's a very different use case than just the, the laundry list of like all the existing opportunities and filtering on archetypes and all of this. Because if a fund, for example, is operating in lower middle markets uh, in finance or uh, technology fragmented space, there are so many companies, no single human can do that. So that's the use case. What I add on top of that is that these use cases are based on massive data. So all the data that, an, that a human investor uses, like Crunchbase and uh, Prequin and others, those data are fitted to the machine. But on top of that, there's data that no human can process, like all the social media data, all the web traffic, all the satellite imaging, like massive data that no human can process. And machine can do that and provide extra insights for the fund. AMEN and the ACC are delighted to announce the return of the Private Credit Investor Forum at iConnections Global Alts 2024, taking place on Monday, January 29th at the Fontainebleau, Miami Beach. LPs and GPs from around the globe will come together to discuss the key trends shaping allocator sentiment and the evolution of the asset class. The day will commence with a series of Meet the Allocator Roundtables and Interactive Workshops and moves on to a program that sets the agenda for the industry. Take part in the conversation with leading asset owners and investment managers as they debate what to expect for private credit in 2024. 
As a sole membership association representing the global private credit market, we look forward to welcoming you to the only dedicated private credit conference during the annual term of investment week in Florida in partnership with iConnections. Come enjoy one-on-one networking and take a deep dive with your peers. See you there. It sounds like to an extent you're, you're, if I've understood you correctly, you're saying that it's as much a case of using AI introspectively to understand your own firm and how or, or, or what it is that your portfolio might be lacking or needing as and, and crunching your own internal data for new insights as much as it is about, as you say, just making it review a certain sector and, and spit out a, a certain company that, that might work for you. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That level of uh, data driven decisions than just the data productivity solutions like understanding what your fund is, what are opportunities, and even the machine like can tell you here is an adjacent sector that is just growing and you have never heard of. And it is not something you have invested or looked at, but look at it like this could be potentially very good deal, very good fit for you to expand into. So from a sort of a risk management diversification point of view, it might draw uh, connect the dots in a way that exactly. hadn't been done exactly I, I want to take you back to the, the the point you were making about the the smaller fund managers and um uh, first of all it's uh, f- funny for me that you're saying smaller is anyone that's um below 80 billion because that's obviously a huge section of the of the industry that we're talking about 80 billion um aum or lower but for those that might be aware of the opportunities or, or the risks of getting left behind, but they're contending with challenges around maybe hiring or training or just generally pivoting their business model to embrace the tools that are out there today. For any fund managers listening, could you just sort of articulate the risk? And again, anything you can uh, share in terms of the timeline? Do, you know, do they need to be doing this today? Is there Have they got a year to figure this out or less? So that's a good question that I get from uh, fund managers in conferences and others about the risk of AI and others. Before I answer that, let me just make my statement clear. Any fund above $80 billion, they are doing this because they have enough resources and others. It doesn't mean that funds below that are not doing that. I have seen funds starting from like $100 million all the way up that have done some sort of AI response. And I have seen success cases even with very small funds, like $100 million and below. So it's not just interesting how creative the engineers are in this space and they do things. But what I say is that all the mega funds have spent enough resources to have it in-house and others are trying to figure out. Now, to answer your question about the risk of AI response, I think the biggest risk of an AI response is not doing an AI, like not doing anything. That's the biggest risk. Like among all the actions and options that people present to me and say, which one I should take, I said like doing nothing is the greatest risk now because AI is going to change the the industry. And you mentioned the numbers. I have seen other surveys as well, uh, which predict the same changes. Now, what I, there are some low hanging fruits in this space that the fund should capture and make sure it has it. And others are, other things are coming after that. Low hanging fruits are, having a ready AI response infrastructure. It means recording your data. You should record your data yesterday because no one is going to sell you your own data. You can always go and buy public data, but private data, which, your, which is your edge, which shows the way that the fund thinks and all the history of data, that should be recorded 
as soon as possible with a clear infrastructure. Like that's one thing. The other thing is uh, a lot of the back office support, like generative AI, they're already pretty mature and we know how to do that. And if a fund is not doing that today, I'm going to be surprised because it can easily save like a lot of time for writing investment memos and communications and due diligence and others that should, it just doesn't make sense not to do that now with all the progress with the generative AI technology and reducing, improving so much capital uh, for human capital they have in the fund. Number three is that starting from beginning, like just putting this infrastructure at the core business, predictive AI algorithms, finding good deals, finding good investment opportunities, investors and others, funds, evaluation of funds for a fund of fund. These things like are pretty advanced in research level and others have done that, that a fund should expect with a good engineering that from first release in six months in a year to have good answers there. Now it gets better and better over time, but immediately there should be like opportunities we have missed before. And you can now say, well, machine told me about this. These are the low hanging fruit. And the other thing I see is that when the fund has an AI strategy, a clear mind on what it wants to do with AI and practical approach, like engineering solution, how it want to get there, it facilitates its conversation with others in the ecosystem, with LPs, with other funds, with its GPs, like just, just makes them stand out and collect fundraise easier, deploy capital easier, more trust to that fund. This is another way that they make ROI on these investments. Um, so given that this development is all extremely new, um, do you think the average asset management firm is adequately equipped then to deal with the level of disruption that generative AI will have on the business model. Do they have the necessary capabilities to get the best out of these tools? Do they need to upskill? Yeah, that's a good question. I wouldn't say, uh, like these capabilities are in, in, let's say three fronts. It's first, like, can they technically make that or what kind of capability they have? Second is the data they have, like, uh, because at the end, if they have property data, they can do better. And the third one is this, like, cultural thing for the people using that, like, investors they have in-house. Are they ready to use that? There's always this cultural barrier that you have a solution, a productivity tool, and people don't use it. Like, remember, we had Zoom, like, before COVID happened, and no one used it. And then suddenly we learned just, it was just a mental barrier. The technology existed already. Now, I trust these three, the technical capability, the data capability, and the cultural and like uh, acceptance of this technology. I would say the first one is the main bottleneck. Like people don't have uh, these, these funds don't have the technology groups and engineering capability to do that. Uh, and there are ways to pass over that. There are ways to fix that. But the other data wise and cultural, I think especially culturally, people are getting more and more, more here about AI and how AI is important. They're getting ready and ready to use that. There's always some learning barrier, spending a few minutes to learn how to use this new chat GPT interface for writing your emails or uh, writing your, your compliance documents or your investment memos. There's some learning barrier there, but it's, it's not as big as a technical barrier for developing those solutions. And those technical barriers is now a question for entrepreneurs and engineers and people like that to provide that to the funds. And, and something else that you, you touched upon, but I'd, I'd like to hear a bit more is uh, the point around how this will affect headcount um, across the firm. And I guess if it's a case where it's more to do with 
improving efficiency, then that doesn't quite strike me as being as um, concerning about radically removing jobs that some people uh, seem to think it will be. But as much as you can say at this point in time, do you think as a general rule, we'll see headcounts shrink or will people just, you know, shrink in one area but grow in others? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of economics research going into that. Um, and I it's hard for me to say because I'm not an economist in terms of labor market and impacts on labor market. The question is, these technologies obviously improve productivity for some tasks. We don't need that much human hours, but they need other tasks now, like interacting with the machine. Every machine, there are some, uh, there, there are two camps in the research generally. There are some camps that say every machine now needs a human counterpart to work together. So there's new jobs required now. And there are camps that say machine will automate everything does not require augmentation. Uh, I know there was a research from, um, from uh, Stanford and Harvard Business School that they trained, uh, they asked a machine and human to work together to, to predict the S&P 500 closing price in 100, uh, 100 days. And they passed it only to human and only to machine. And obviously the augmented version outperformed both of them, like basically super uh, investors with a lot of experience, tenured investors, were not able to beat a machine with a junior investor augmented together. Now, it's hard for me to say the labor impact the way you asked, but if I want to make my, say my own prediction now, uh, I think that we will have productivity across the, across different uh, work in different uh, levels in the investment funds from analysts and associates all the way to partners and investors. And they will spend more time in real added value, like making relationship, thinking about investment thesis, making the deals happen, really things that humans need to interact with each other. Um, and and during, during the research that we've um, conducted on this space, um, we've heard a lot about the enormous change that um, we're likely to see and others are likely to hear about very soon in generative AI. Um, there's been a lot of mention about Copilot. Um, can, can you tell our listeners, explain to our listeners about how these applications, progressive applications, are likely to change the way they work? And how soon is that likely to happen? Very good question. Like Copilot is a very good example of using generative AI in an augmented way. And when it comes to use cases for the investment it's for back office mostly so and that's like one as i mentioned back office is gonna change way faster like it's already there like the use cases and everything are already there and copilot is, is basically the augmented way of working that is going to change very fast how we do all the document processing and process management now document processing and process management may mean different things for different funds like uh, across the board from their legal documents to investment memos to uh, investor communication and relationship to marketing to fundraising but that's already there like we are this way of augmented way of working and 80 percent about around 80 percent reduction time required to spend on these tasks is something that i hear across the board and should be expected and so this has been obviously been extremely informative and I'm, I'm sure people really appreciate just being walked through this. And I, I know that I do because we're sort of inundated with information and yet somehow uh, you can be more confused than when you started with this stuff. But just to sort of round off the conversation, 
if we were to just ask you to indulge in a little bit more crystal ball gazing than we already have, and I appreciate how difficult this is in such a fast moving uh, part of the market. But if we um, just move ahead a few years and think about how progressive and disruptive generative AI will be in the way we work, can you just sort of summarize maybe what a, a day in the life will be for, a, I guess, maybe you can pick sort of front or back office uh, staff member and, and, and maybe how um, their life will look very different to, to how we work today? Yeah, sure. Um, I was, uh, I, I have this conversation, especially with marketing people at the funds who are trying to fundraise. And they were telling me like all the processes they do that they select like potential LPs, they send them emails, they try to follow up. Uh, send them the document they want, answer their questions, keep them involved. And those LPs that they already have, try to keep the connection with them. And when I looked through the process they do, it was obvious that most of this work is going to be automated. There's going to be a version of ChatGPT or whatever language foundation model you have that takes control of all of these communications, like finding the investors, sending out emails, responding to their questions, and a marketing person now in the fund basically sits on top of this machine and just monitors the performance wherever required just makes changes or adjustments just like let's say they have an intern that is doing all the job and they are just supervising that intern a great intern that can do all of their job and they supervise them and then that marketing agent basically it's most of its time is now instead of typing emails and uh, finding information for response for question most of its time is now spent to really go out, see person to person, the, invest, the investors, the LPs, make connections, grab a coffee with them and make that level of high level intuition exchange of ideas rather than nitty gritty, like answer to detailed questions. That's going to be a transformative change. Like 80% of the job for them now may be sitting down and write, spending time in front of a screen. In future, 80% of the time is spending one-on-one -on -one, uh, interactions with the humans. <laughs> wow. So I've I've jotted down as we've been talking just a few uh, lessons for um, well I mean anyone really who who might be trying to grapple with um, things they should be doing now or ways of thinking about this and and you've certainly helped me um, be able to, to to picture what these tools are and 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 how to sort of approach them but maybe if I just run through with them now you can just tell me if I've missed anything. Um, so to begin with, it was just this point about getting your house in order. Even if you're not necessarily um, using AI now, you need to start thinking about how you might do in the future. And a lot of that will require your internal data being in a good state. And so getting yourself to sort of an AI ready state, I think, is, is key and, and something people, anyone can be doing now with their own business. And then there's using the low, uh, taking advantage of the low-hanging fruit and using the tools that are out there now, primarily back office, administrative tasks. Uh, I think you said no excuse for not uh, doing that now. Uh, and then it is just a case of getting started now and using the tools that are there. Uh, and then we, we were talking before about um, taking the time to look at the leaders in the space and what they're doing and to the extent that they're sharing what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, good uh, expertise that can be leveraged there from people that have made the mistakes in the past. And then the final two were just 
taking advantage of the free time that you will get in your work day to do more value add tasks, developing those relationships, going for those coffees, as you mentioned, and doing all the things that the machines can't do for now, at least. And then it's to finally transitioning to that more managerial and supervisory um, way of doing your job in the sense that you are supervising the machines that are doing those basic tasks rather than you spending hours consolidating documents and, and, and the rest of it. Is there anything I've missed there? Is there anything that you would add? No, you made a great uh, summarization and list, uh, Drew. I think it's very accurate the way you said that. What I would say for funds is that every fund requires a roadmap. It's different from the other funds, where they are right now and what is their target state. That is something that the fund should have. So they are not uh, lost into the noise of the AI and they are not lost into many things they can do. And they basically can stand up, have a clear vision of where they are, what are the priority use cases for them, where's the most added value, which is this is very fund dependent. And where is their data that has the most advantage? Where is their property data they can extract from in-house or from, from portfolio companies as well? collect them all together, get them ready for AI response. And what I would say is that the funds, other than this vision, start thing like every everything you do in, in day-to-day life, you wake up, you start doing all of the tasks, think before you're doing that, if this could be like done with generative AI, like people have good grasp of what generative AI generally can do based on all the news around it and all the publicity that is made around it. Think if it can be done by generative AI. And you will be surprised how many of the things you do day to day, if you go through this exercise for like a few days, you will be surprised how many of the things, tasks you do can be automated. And then obviously the question is how to do that? What's the engineering solution? Exactly. Very well put. And and, and so very finally then, uh, there is obviously a huge amount of, of resources out there now, uh, not least the, the work that you and your team have done in this space. Can you just give listeners somewhere to go if they want to uh, delve a little bit deeper into this stuff, uh, maybe look at some of your, your other published work in this area? Yeah, sure. So uh, we do have an open, uh, we have a white paper actually that describes uh, the questions, some of the questions we discussed and more detail and provides the, the existing uh, use, existing solutions across other funds, especially mega funds and solutions out there. So uh, that white paper, uh, the title is AI for Investment, er, um, a platform disruption. And in that white paper, we answer this question. It's available on my personal website as well. And we basically show how a correct way to approach this AI uh, transformation for a fund is to think as a platform, as opposed to use case or just a third party solution. Buying like 20 different softwares or 20 different solutions for this and that use case is going to be at the end, uh, not a perfect solution because there's so many different softwares and stuff, and it's not going to be coherent. Developing use cases in-house without a coherent view, because in two, three years, a lot of things are going to be developed and automated. That's also not perfect. The correct way to our understanding is there should be a platform for the fund that connects all the data and all the uh, infrastructure for AI response. And then all the use cases are driven from that platform one after the other in priority order in a coherent way that uses all the data and all the capacity of the fund for the fund bespoke and, uh, re- and recommendation for the fund that is matched to its investment thesis. Now, 
this platform way of looking at these AI solutions results in way more efficiency, saving in cost, saving in time. There's no double uh, double overlap of the work that is done across different units or software that is bought. And it's most important is connected to the property data in the fund and it's for the fund. That's the capability advantage that the funds should build because it's going to be a bespoke solution at the end of the day. And the way to do that either in-house through hiring engineers or with a partner that understands the space, that's different again for every fund. And we will make sure to put a link to your website and that white paper in the show notes for this episode. And I know in many ways we have just scratched the surface of this topic and we could go on for at least another hour and and still um, you know, only really have started. But um, I think this has been a fantastic primer and I, I know I've learned a lot from this. So uh, all that's left to say is thank you so much for joining us on The Long Short. Amazing. Thanks for having me here. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.